message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles again to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you remember, we did a whole series verse by verse uh, through 1 Peter, and we covered this a little bit, but perhaps not in the same way. Uh, certainly, we always want to preach in context, and yet maybe not in the direct way that we look at it this morning as we talk uh, a look at Peter and how he spoke of living in the last day. Uh, last week, I did respond to a question that I'd been asked many, many times over the last couple of weeks, and that is, Pastor, do you, do you think that this whole COVID-19 crisis and and all the different things that are going on is this part of the end times? And um, not trying to be cute or coy, I gave my opinion with great clarity. I said yes and no. And again, I say that again, not to be cute or with uh, uh, to be coy, but yes, I believe that ever since Jesus ascended that we have been living in the last days, that is waiting for his second return, his second advent. No, I personally, just my own humble opinion, do I believe that the coronavirus is the, the capstone to all these events? I, I do not know that, but again, I, I don't know that it's not. See, here's the thing. Whenever we talk about the end times, we can live in one of two uh, avenues of the end times. One is a spirit of expectation. Another is a spirit of speculation. And there's a lot of speculation about the end times. As I've said before, you take 10 uh, theologians that love Jesus very well, and you ask them about certain parts of Revelation or Daniel or other end time uh, prophecies, and you may get as many as 10 or 11 different responses. It's because we don't know sometimes where God is talking about symbolism, where he's talking literally, and so we have to speculate. And so it's not an error to live in speculation. We are to to make much of the scripture and try to figure it out as much as we can. But rather than live in a spirit of speculation, I would rather go with what do we know for sure? That way we can live in a spirit of expectation. And I think that when we really look at the entirety of the New Testament, that's the spirit by which Christ commands us to live, a spirit of expectation not one of speculation. See, Jesus could come back any day now. Here's what we know for for sure, that every day that passes is one day closer for him to return. We are instructed to live in such a way that we are watchful. And we saw that from the words of Christ himself last week, that God said, okay, I want you to live watchfully. Uh, That was the word that Christ gave over and over again when he talked about the end times. In Matthew 24, when his disciples asked him about living in the end times, that's the words, and that was kind of the the uh, phrase that he used or the guidance that he used to give them to answer that question. He says a whole bunch in Matthew 24 and 25. We would do well to read those things. But we really could sum up how should we then live by what Christ says in Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day the Lord will return or will come. Matthew twenty five thirteen. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. 
Mark's gospel said it this way, Mark 13, 35. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. That instruction that Jesus gives over and over and over in relationship, how should we live with the coming of the last days, is, is very simple. Therefore, keep watch. And so what does it mean to keep watch? Well, what a pertinent question for us to ask. Does it mean that we try to predict the day? No, because the Bible pretty much says that we're not going to be able to do that, that we do not know the day. Does it mean that we should all gather at church and, and kind of form this big holy huddle and just as we hold hands and, and sing kumbaya, that we just kind of get in this holy huddle and wait? I don't think that's the call to the New Testament Christian. We are to be in worship and expectation, but not in this holy huddle that is you know, isolated from the rest of the world. It doesn't mean that we live it up now, that one day, you know, heaven's right around the corner. God's going to come back or Christ is going to come back and and take us away from this earth. So we better get as much earth living as we can. I don't think that that's the call of the New Testament at all. Thankfully, God, in various ways, from various writers in the New Testament, describes what a watchful life looks like. Uh, Jesus describes such a, a life in the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, that this spirit of expectation should be there in our lives and our hearts and our minds. Jesus also compared it to a servant in charge of a home awaiting the homeowner's return in Matthew 24. He said if, if he knows that the owner is coming back, there's this spirit of expectation. Paul talked to the Thessalonians and he described it as the return of Christ as a thief coming in the night. And so he told them in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. What are they all describing? Not so much a spirit of speculation, but a spirit of expectation. That we have this mindset of wakefulness, of soberness. Uh, Think of yourself uh, as a soldier that has been given the responsibility to sit at the East Camp gate and guard at night. You have a spirit of expectation. In fact, they would uh, not treat you so kindly if you fell asleep when you were on watch. Why? Because you've made not only yourself vulnerable, but the whole camp. That's the spirit in which Christ says to live our lives. That we are to be awake, we don't sleep, we don't get into a spiritual sleep. That we are to be awake and to be sober. Sober meaning very clear-minded. Well, that's exactly what Peter says and deals with in 1 Peter chapter 4. In fact, as we look at that chapter, what we see is Peter is actually describing what a watchful life looks like. Now, each one of these could be individual sermons. For the next four weeks, I could easily just take each one of these four aspects of what Peter talked about and and really kind of go into great detail. But I'd rather this morning just kind of briefly go over all four of these so that we can include them into one sermon. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, look at the first thing that Peter says in the context of the opening of that verse when he says, the end of all things is at hand. The Greek word for end there is telos. It means completion. It means a culmination of a purpose. It's not just the end and kind of a stopping point, but it is is a 
culmination. It is a, a completion. Think of it this way. You go to school for 12 years, and at the end of that 12 years, you're a, a senior, and it culminates in graduation. You go to college, perhaps, and you work for four, maybe five years. You study, and it culminates in graduation. It's not just the end of it, but it ends in something that you are purposeful to complete. When we understand that word, that it's not just an end, but that it's a completion, a culmination, we come back that God is always, always, always working his plan. One thing that we can take great confidence in, church, is that God is not making it up as we go. Every day, every detail is precisely planned. And it's in this truth that we can have encouragement in times of crisis. When the world seems out of control, we can be reminded that God very much is in control. Does that mean that he is just some God in heaven and he's moving around pieces on a board like a chessboard? No. Somehow God's sovereignty and man's freedom and uh, ability to, to, to make choices work in unison, but not without God knowing all these things and being sovereign over all these things. So what we can take away from that is that God is not reacting. When Peter uses the word, the end of all things is at hand, he's not talking about this doomsday, you know, this discouragement, oh, the end is near. No, he's talking about that God has worked an eternal plan of the ages and that, that when Christ comes back, we're, we're at the end of that. He's working his plan for eternity. And that's why we see this throughout the New Testament. 23 of the 26 books of the New Testament speak of Christ's return. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talks about his return are living in the last days. God is not reacting, folks. He very much is acting in, in response here. So look again at verse 7. First uh, Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Just as Jesus connected, Peter connects here, the end times, the end days, living in the last days with a way to live. Jesus connected it and he said, okay, here we're living in the last days. You can have this expectation of living in the last days. Therefore, live like this. Be watchful. And here's the day. And Peter says, basically, here's how you live in watchful anticipation of in, in these last days. First thing that he points out, prayer that is serious and clear. Now we know that we should always be praying. It's one of those areas of our lives that I've never met anybody who felt like they prayed enough or adequately. And and Peter's not just saying, okay, say a whole bunch of prayers. He, he says, pray in First Peter 4, 7. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. This is very consistent to what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25. Does he mention the length of your prayer? That, hey, you used to pray five minutes a day, now you better pray 15 minutes a day? No, he's not talking about length necessarily. Is he talking about using fancy words that will impress God? No, he's not talking about that. 
What he's talking about here, the emphasis is on the status of our hearts and our minds. Face it, we pray more seriously when crisis come, don't we? When there's all of a sudden a financial crisis, a relationship crisis, a health crisis in our lives, our prayer life gets kind of tuned up a little bit. And it, it you know, it's, there's an intensity and, to use his words, a little bit more of this self-control that is purposeful and sober-minded, clear-minded. It's kind of the difference between when we pray a prayer, uh, God, help everybody to be healthy. That's not a bad prayer. I hope you pray it a lot. But isn't that a different prayer? Hey, God, help everybody to be healthy. Then the prayer that when our child is sick of disease and we say, God, will you help Ashley? Will you help Bethany? Will you help my wife fight this disease and, and overcome this disease? When crisis comes into our lives, the intensity of our prayer is more focused. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. He said, in these last days, one way that we pray is that we pray uh, in a way that is very serious and clear. See, that's one of the great takeaways that we can take away from this COVID-19 crisis. Hopefully, we understand now that you know life is really difficult. Another great lesson that I hope that we are learning and have learned is that we're not in control. That certainly, we have responsibilities, but... There are a lot of things that can happen that we have no control over whatsoever. Is that a bad thing? No, I would say that's a very good thing because that's an eternal truth. And the more that we think we're in control, the more we're going to try to manage our own lives kind of in our own wisdom and our own mindset. No, a life that kind of realizes that we're not ultimately in control, that, that, that we don't get to kind of, you know, sell our own ship. That there's a lot of factors out there that determine where we go in life is a life that is dependent upon God's grace, his guidance, and his goodness. That's a good place to be, guys. Instead of Bobby thinking, okay, here's the plan for my life for the next 30 years. For me to say, no, God, I give you this day. And will you give me your grace? Will you give me your guidance? And I know that that will be measured by your goodness. What a great prayer that is, that we would pray with that kind of mindset. So the first thing that Peter says, how do you live watchful lives? Well, you pray in a way that is serious and clear. Secondly, in verse 8, he talks about loving others with an earnest love. Loving others with an earnest love. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, keeping, uh, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Notice that the command of love is placed in a sense of primacy. Peter is not diminishing the need for prayer, but he's elevating this need for earnest love for others. The word earnestly there is a word that in the Greek means fervent. It means committed. The Greek word actually is an action word that means stretched out with straining. It's a picture perhaps of an athlete, of a football player that is, you know, four seconds left on the clock and they're, they're down by three and yet they're on the five yard line and this receiver goes out for a pass and the quarterback goes back and, and throws the ball and, and the receiver has to lay out. He has to, to throw himself toward the trajectory of that ball to catch that ball for the touchdown. It's that kind of concentration. It's, it's a runner who sees the finish line. 
after a 100-yard dash or a 26-mile marathon run, and he sees that finish line, and he throws his body at that finish line. That's the word that's used here, that we are to love others by hurling ourselves toward that goal to love them in such an earnest way. See, think about it. In times of crisis such as these, there is a nature to withdraw and to huddle. I mean, it has been good to huddle together with my wife. It's been good for you to huddle together with your family. And yet here we're instructed, not so much during the COVID-19 crisis, but we're instructed as we live in the last days with this nature that wants to just huddle and close doors. God says, I want you to do just the opposite. The nature of this love is a forgiving love. He, he talks about a sin that covers a multitude of sins. Perhaps he's uh, borrowing that from the Psalms and, and from David. But what he's talking about here is uh, a love. Uh, you know, the Greek had a, a lot of different uh, words for love. And the word that he uses here is agape love. This isn't just neighborly love. That's phileo love. And it's a good kind of love. But phileo love is pretty emotionally based. It's, it's based on, uh, again, a, a good thing, love and need. It, it's kind of like the, the commercials that are there for the ASPCA, uh, you know, when they show all the dogs and they're shivering and they're starving, and they said, send $19 a month and you can save these dogs. I'm not belittling that whatsoever. I, my heart hurts every time I see that commercial. But that would be more of a phileo love. It's this brotherly concern for the well-being of somebody else. And we see the need and we kind of want to make that. The word that Peter uses here that he calls us to have in the last days and as part of this watchful living and expectation of the return of Christ is agape love. Agape love is actually God's love for us. And Peter's writing the church, and now that God lives in us through the Holy Spirit, he says, now you're enabled to love with a godly kind of love, a love that is intentional and very sacrificial. Paul tells us, I'm sorry, Peter tells us to, to, that watchful eyes will love in a way that doesn't look back and have regret. I'm sure you've heard stories before, hear them all the time. Sometimes maybe we even may know a person that said, you know, I wish I would have known that that was the last time that I would have seen mama or daddy or my brother or my sister because I never got to tell them goodbye. Or sometimes even more tragically, sometimes that story goes, I wish that I would have known that that was the last time that I would have seen my father because we were at odds and I would have wanted to make things right with my dad. What Peter says here when we're living in the last days, he says, live in such a way that it's this forgiving love. Love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, he's kind of saying, get your business in order. Look past the faults. Look past ugliness so that you could lean in and love them. That, that term lean in is one that I use a lot in counseling, use a lot in teaching. You know, sometimes when it's our nature to lean out from a situation, to kind of remove ourselves from a situation, the Bible often calls us to lean in. 
And that's what Peter calls us to do here. God says, I want you, you know, yeah, do they have faults? Is there an ugliness about what they've done and what they're doing? Yes, but I want you to lean in because in these last days, I want you to have a love that is an earnest love, a forgiving love. Uh, That notion is continued in the third thing that we see that Peter exhorts us to do. And he, he calls us to be hospitable people, to have a hospitality that is gracious. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now again, think about it. In one way, in times of crisis, our nature is to huddle with those that are the very closest to us and shut the door and to shut out the rest. Now again, with the whole COVID-19, we know that we're doing it for this social distancing. There's actually a purpose of sheltering away. But under normal circumstances, a normal crisis, that nature of kind of sheltering is still there. That the the mama hen gets her checks and kind of goes to the nest and, and closes the door. The Bible tells us here that in the last days that we are to have this this spirit of hospitality, this mindset of hospitality that actually leans out rather than leans in. I love the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible uh, takes about five words and turns it into about 25 words for a lot of verses. And and here's what how the Amplified Bible has verse 9. Practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers, with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all those who come your way that who are Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially and graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. The emphasis here is to have an open door when the nature says, close and lock the door. I, I mean, isn't there that part of you that when crisis comes in, you just want to kind of Kit those, maybe your spouse, and if you have children, your spouse. And you just want to close the door and lock the door. And yet Peter says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's word, hey, in those last days, if you if you want to live watchfully, part of that is, is really kind of opening the door. And one of those things that we do is that we're very gracious in the way that we uh, live with others, very hospitable lives. It's amazing how much the Bible talks about the um, the act of hospitality. In the Middle East, um, they would have understood this. All the people that Jesus was writing to, Peter was talking to, Paul was talking to, uh, hospitality is a huge, huge thing in those cultures. And, and they thought uh, very much of asking people to come over. And even those that may be stranger that are in need to come over and, and to dine with them. It was a huge thing in Middle Eastern life. And, and so the Bible makes much of this spirit of hospitality. It even goes as far as to say in Hebrews, uh, one of these great verses that we love, Hebrews 13.2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now look at the rest of that verse. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Now, one of the things I take from this verse is that, you know, he's not just talking about being hospitable to your immediate family. You already know that they're not angels. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty clear. 
But what about that person that you've just met, that new person here, a neighbor down the street or somebody else that's in need? And when we show hospitality, the writer of Hebrews says, you don't know, you might even be entertaining an angel and you're totally unaware of that. The Bible makes much of hospitality and to have a hospitable heart in last days. Let's move on to the fourth way that Peter says that we are to live watchful lives. In verse 10 and 11, he says uh, that we are to serve out of our God-given giftedness. To serve out of our God-gifted giftedness. Now again, remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. They are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we learn from the Bible is that when we're a Christian, God gives us spiritual a spiritual gift or gifts. And here Peter is making kind of reference to that. And he says that in the last days that we are to make sure that we're living out these gifts. Look what he says in verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, what is Peter saying? Peter's instructing us to, number one, he says, use the gifts that have been given to you by God. To do what? To do the ministry of God. Peter, Peter mentions a few examples. He said, okay, if you're, if God has given you the, the, uh, gift of speaking here, he says, speak the oracles, the truth of God, the word of God. If God has given you, uh, the gift of, of service, and, and this is just what he's put into your heart, then serve others and strengthen others in what God has supplied to you. The Greek word there for these gifts are, is charisma. It's where we get the word uh, charismatic. If we say, you know, that guy has a charismatic personality, what are we saying about that person? We're saying that we're kind of drawn to him, that there's something about that person and his personality that invites us to, to want to be around that person. He's just a charismatic person. Not so much to draw attention to himself in this sense, but we're just drawn to him. That's the word that's used here that these spiritual gifts will draw people to us for ministry and more importantly, draw others to see Christ in us. God desires for us to discover our gift so that we can use our gift. For what purpose? Well, he tells us right there, to serve one another and to bring God glory. When we use the gift and gifts that God has given us, we are living watchful lives because we're carrying out the purpose of God. We're, we're serving one another, not just the body of Christ, but our neighbors, our friends, those that don't believe. This isn't something just to keep in the church. This isn't something that we just concentrate other, on other believers. No, this is something that we live out in our lives as we are just living. That as God has gifted us with these gifts that we do it for two purposes, to serve the ministry of God and to bring glory to God. Now think about it. 
if you thought Christ was coming tomorrow, again, we don't know the day, but if you thought that Christ was coming back tomorrow or that Christ was coming back this next week, would you have a, you know, a persuasion, a tendency to do these four things more purposefully? I mean, think about it. If you thought Christ was truly coming back tomorrow or next Tuesday or next Friday or something really soon, I think you would be praying more seriously and very targeted prayers. I think that you would be loving others with a love that leans in. Even when those people are kind of been ugly to you or a little bit of offensive, that, that you would try your very best through the power of God's spirit within you to love with this agape love that God loves us with. I, I think instead of closing the doors and just staying in a holy huddle, I, I think there would be that call for us to open the doors uh, with a heart of graciousness. And I think that we would be using the gifts that God has given us for the speaker that that person would speak, for the the one who has the gift of serving, that they would go out and serve and that they would be earnest in doing that because they know that Christ's return was imminent. Guys, that's what Jesus said. 2,000 years ago, he said, therefore, keep watch. The disciples had asked, How do we live in the last day? How do we know the last days are coming? He didn't give them a date. He told them how to live. Will we still speculate? Yeah. You can deal with all these end time things with a lot of speculation. But let's go with the, you know, what we really know so that there can be this spirit of expectation and anticipation of Christ keeping his word and his promise that he's coming back. And so church, uh, here's how we are then to live. This week, prayers that are serious and targeted. I'm not talking about a length of time that you have to pray for three hours. You have to use fancy words in order for God to, to, to hear that. No, that we are just very prayerful in our mindset, in our heart, that we love others with a love that leans in to them and their needs, that we open our doors with gracious hearts, open our lives and our hearts to those that are around us, And that we use the gifts that God has given us to carry out his ministry. If we do those things and you were found doing those four things in some capacity in your life and Christ came tomorrow and you had all four of those things kind of engaged in your life, I think that Christ would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father God, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we have a curiosity that really wants us to speculate about things. And Father, that whole spirit of speculation is something that uh, we can really get caught up in. And Father, it's not evil in and of itself, but Father, you've given us clarity that instead of just speculating, Father, there's things that we can just live in this spirit of expectation. Father, even the Lord's Supper, every time we practice that, yes, we are looking back at what Christ has done, But Father, you said to keep on taking the Lord's Supper with the spirit of expectation into his second advent, his second coming. So Father, throughout the New Testament, we see this call to live watchful lives. And we pray that this week, that Father, we won't take these four things as a to-do list, as a task, but Father, that, that we would simply see that this is the Father's instructions for us. These aren't just things to do 
to gain spirituality. Father, Christ has already done everything needed to save us. But Father, to live as you have called us to live, help us us to do these things and help us to live a life that is targeted and purposeful and Father, living in the full expectation of his, of Christ's return. Father, I do pray, come quickly, come quickly, so that we can be with you forever and ever. But until that day, give me the strength and the grace by your Spirit to live this watchful life. We pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.